Welcome back to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.0 FM in New York. I am Amba Gargarian, filling in this week for John Tarleton. And I am very excited to introduce another independent contributor, Derek Ludovici. Derek writes for us from time to time, and he's an anthropology professor at Brooklyn College and City College. He received his master's from the American University in Cairo and was in Egypt during the Arab Spring. Derek wrote an amazing op-ed for us in the September issue of The Independent called What I Learned During the Forever Wars. A great read. I highly suggest you can find it in a news box near you or online at independent, that's with a Y, dot org. Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. So I'm going to jump right in. Um, Going on. Uh, the article that you wrote about, you know, being 15 years old when 9-11 happened and there being this disdain in your small town in Pennsylvania that was shared among, you know, all of your colleagues in school and how um, you said you said everyone would sing on the buses, Deo, Deo, the first Afghan royal air show. Hey, Mr. Taliban, hand over bid lot and daylight comes and we bomb your home. I didn't want to sing that because... Um, I just thought I would mess it up, but explain a little bit that vindicative atmosphere you experienced in high school right after the bombs were dropped. Well, yeah, when I remember distinctly in the months following 9-11 and right on the onset of the Afghan war, this song would come on. It was like right as the bus was turning onto the road, my school was on. It would come on every morning at the same time. Kids would cheer. And there was just this very nationalistic atmosphere that exploded after 9-11 and very jingoistic. Um, And, you know, we were all kids. Like, I knew next to nothing about politics at this time, especially international politics. So when writing the piece, I was just starting to reflect on, you know, what feeling like the things I heard and was feeling at this time um, and just sort of how vile it is in reflection to think of, you know, this sort of hatred to towards people that I had known nothing about a month earlier. So what? Um, and, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask what, you know, you, you sort of suggested in the article that you, you were a part of that mindset. You know, I mean, no hate on you, no shade. That's It's understandable. Um, but what made you, what opened your eyes? You said still while you were in high school, you, you transitioned to someone who was anti-war. You know, what radicalized you? Um, I, it's actually, I, it's hard for me to remember what transformed me. I know by the time the wars break out. I was very in, or the war in Iraq was starting. I was very opposed to it. Part of it was, I think, we had to do some assignments in high school where we read opinion pieces for or against the war. Um, and I had come out thinking the against the war articles were better. I don't remember exactly what arguments convinced me 20 years later, mm-hmm. but and I also had like I was I was a pretty nerdy kid. I had friends had like a friend handed me like 
cassettes of Howard Zinn on tape, and I listened to them, and I just started to, you know, become this young little leftist. Um, and the anti-war movement would sort of cement that right. uh, a year, a year or so later. And we fast forward. You've gone through undergrad. You're going to grad school, and you are in Cairo. You know, you're at the American University, an amazing place. You're in Cairo when the Arab Spring happened, when there's hope for revolution. Um, quickly, just because we have some other stuff to get to, explain how that felt and then how it felt when, as you write, the tanks rolled back in and hope was relatively lost. I mean, yeah, it was one of the most hopeful, exciting experiences when the revolutions in Egypt and Tunisia broke out and witnessing them, whereas living in Cairo was, you know, one of the most optimistic times in my life. Um, obviously, things did not work out uh, when the military took back over. Um, it was very fairly clear that a new wave of, of authoritarianism was rolling in. Um, and at that time, I had just been accepted into a doctoral program in New York. And so I was moving to New York days after the tanks rolled back in. And do you think, and now I know this is all speculative, but do you think from someone who was there really felt the energy that a sexual, successful revolution could have been possible? Or do you think that in the current state of, I don't know, was it in imperialism that that would be just impossible in the middle east i mean i like to think that revolution is always possible and a better future is always possible um but you know we live we live and we fight our battles in the world we're in um mm -hmm. hoping to see that and uh, lastly, let's touch on, you know, fast forward again, you're a professor and you are teaching uh, Middle Eastern related topics in the international studies programs. And you have some um, vets who are your students. Now, explain the experience, the, the sort of experience you saw these vets going through as they learned the backdrop and the context for where they were a few years prior. Yeah, so when I started teaching at CUNY, um, I was 27, um, and I had many students who were about my age who had joined the military and then were going to school afterwards. And I was teaching a class on their spring. And so I feel like partially their experiences generate interest in the class. And talking to them, I mean, I remember one day sitting in the lounge with multiple students who have been in the military, and I just, and like, they had all, none of them seemed very gung-ho about the war, the military, I was just like, what, well, what was your experience? And one just sort of laughed and was like, oh, it, it sucked. Um, and I felt like, you know, Reflecting at that time, I felt like, you know, these are these are young. They're mostly young men who, like, you know, I could have made the same decision of that. 
and gone off and then sent to war or uh, stuck on one of the hundreds of military bases throughout the world that the U.S. has and still have found no purpose. So, I mean, I thought it was very interesting getting to know these young men as they had, you know, done, done, joined, got out of the military and were now majoring in international studies, you know, trying to find a career path. Right. With the, with the general sense of loss. Um, well, Derek, we have about 30 more seconds, but could you suggest to me, to our listeners, what readings, who to, who to read or what to read as far as sort of, you know, context for the Middle East and, and where we are now goes, I think, um, a lot of uh, Afghans, other Middle Easterners, Middle Eastern Americans are afraid that the media is just going to move on. So how can we stay informed? Um, oh, I, I mean, that's a huge I know, topic. it's a big question. Um, what what news <laughs> sources do you suggest, shall I say? I, I tend to read um, for, for Egypt-related stuff, there's Matamas, which is the really one of the only independent news sources left in Egypt, and it's both in English and Arabic. Um, and yeah, I would just suggest going to these independent media sources mm-hmm. in these different countries that you want to get to know and actually learn from the journalists who are working in their home countries. Right. Independent media. Hooray. That's what we're doing right now. Thank you so much, Derek, for joining us. Everybody go read that article in the recent issue of the Indie. And we are going to go into a musical break and we'll be back with more.